This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. Super Tuesday is almost upon us, and even among the crowded slate of presidential and congressional primaries, there is a standout set of contests in the great state of Texas. Among the 36 House and one Senate primary races there on Tuesday in the Lone Star State are several that Democrats and Republicans are fiercely competing for, and it will help determine who is in the majority in Congress next year. In 2018, Democrats flipped two Republican seats, and this time around they're targeting seven That is why we sent senior political reporter Bridget Bowman deep into the heart of Texas to give us some on-the-ground reporting. We're going to talk about some of the other Super Tuesday states, but let's start with Texas. Bridget, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your recent trip to Texas uh, and to uh, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area where you reported on, uh, on – I think you've written like 28, 28 stories. Uh, <laughs> Around since there. The, yeah, Give or take the, a few. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've written a, several stories. Uh, but let's talk about the – start off talking about some of the House primaries mm-hmm. because um, I, I just – I. I wrote this down. I did some math, uh, so I, I wanted to, to break this out, you know, and, and just prove my my uh, junior year algebra teacher wrong that I could do math. In addition to the presidential primaries in Alabama, Arkansas, California, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, and Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, there are primaries for Congress, state primaries in Alabama, Arkansas, California, North Carolina, and Texas. That adds up between the House and Senate contest to 117 congressional primaries, uh, and, and that's 37 in Texas alone. It's every House uh, mm-hmm. seat plus the, the a Senate seat. So no pressure. We're going to talk about every single race in extensive detail. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about your trip there, uh, Bridget. Uh, who did, who uh, and and what did you report on when you were there? Yeah, so Texas is going to be a very interesting state in 2020. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? You're right. It That's is what they say. It's going to be a huge te- uh, House battleground, especially in the control for the majority. Uh, Democrats are targeting seven Republican-held seats in Texas, the most of any other state. Uh, Republicans are also looking to flip some, de- some seats that they lost in 2018. There's also a competitive, potentially competitive Senate race happening there. So a lot going on. Right. Uh, and we decided to go to the Dallas area because in the Dallas-Fort Worth area alone, there are a couple interesting dynamics happening, especially before the March 3rd primary. So when we first got there, we went towards the Fort Worth area where Congresswoman, Republican Congresswoman Kay Granger is facing a primary challenge. Uh, outside groups are spending against her. This is looking like a real race, one of her toughest maybe ever in her career. And she's uh, a former mayor of Fort Worth. I yeah. mean, she's a known quantity. She's been in Congress for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the people of Fort Worth are not unfamiliar with Kay Granger. I mean, they like Correct. she's she's a known quantity, if, if you will. Yeah, that's right. It, but she's facing a challenge from a Republican. Republican named Chris Putnam, who was a city councilman in outside of the district, in a city outside the district. He's since moved in. And it's interesting because Putnam's challenge is kind of reminiscent of Tea Party challenges from a decade ago. He's talking a lot about government spending. 
Uh, Congressman Granger is the top Republican on the House Appropriations Committee. But the interesting dynamic here that I was curious about when we went down there is does that type of challenge still work in Trump's Republican Party? Mm -hmm. The president has endorsed Congresswoman Granger in the race. And I talked to some voters who said, if Trump's vote for her, then I'm for her. And that was it. Uh, But there are some other folks that are trying to decide, like, do we want a new member in there? But then again, like you said, Congresswoman Granger is well known. She's known for bringing money to the district for military contracts to benefit big employers in the district like Lockheed Martin. I talked to one voter named Bob Sims, who was undecided about who he would support. He liked term limits, but he said, well, my my term limits tells me to vote for the new guy. Yeah. But then uh, I've got a son that works at Lockheed. So oh. that that pulls me the other direction. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, so it was interesting. It seems like it's going to be pretty close. And also just, I mean, the the kind of the local color and flavor that you got when mm-hmm. you were there. Um, I mean, Kate Ranger, as you mentioned, is the top uh, uh, Republican on the House Appropriations Committee. So she's, you know, in a position to dole out money to the district. But you went to this event where she quite literally doled out some money for a sheet cake yes. <laughs> uh, at, at this auction. Yeah, we are at a, a Lutheran church in Azel, Texas, for a candidate forum. And the church between every candidate would auction off cakes that the women's group baked as a fundraiser for the church. And they had like a, a real cattle auctioneer rattling off, uh, kind of joking and, with and the And it audience. wasn't Billy Long. Uh, no. <laughs> Republican auctioneer, member of Congress from Missouri. Right? No, uh, but this guy was a real pro, had on a big white cowboy hat, uh, was calling people out, and Congressman Granger ended up paying $220 for a chocolate cake. Now, maybe you spent a little bit too much time there because I hear you just dropped one of your G's. Uh, <laughs> is, is, it, <laughs> is, it, is it tempting? Because you were there for a while and yeah. you know you just you just start dropping G's. You know? I really like, want to start working y'all into the conversation. <laughs> like, I just want to be able to pull that off. I don't think I can. It's it, <laughs> It, it might come to, uh, difficult uh, for somebody from Buffalo. Yeah. I don't know. You know. <laughs> um, and so, so you, you report on this this race. This is going to go down to the wire. It sounds like. Also, there's not a ton of polling at mm-hmm. this level, right? right. So it's t- it's tough uh, to to get a bead on it outside of what the campaigns are are telling us. But this is also a solid Republican district as That's well, right. right? Yeah. So yeah. it. I mean, odds are there will be a Republican in the seat, whether it's Granger or Putnam. Yes, that's right. But that's not the case for some of the other nearby House districts. Uh, oh, that's a great segue. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Nicely done. <laughs> uh, when we were also down in Dallas, we caught up with Congressman Colin Allred, mm-hmm. who flipped a seat in 2018 in the 32nd district in Dallas. He, his district includes kind of the wealthier parts of Dallas, the suburbs. Um, he's running in a competitive race as well. Uh, and there's an interesting Republican primary happening to take him on. Uh, there's also a competitive seat in the 24th district, which is an open seat race. This district is kind of the mid-cities region between Dallas and Fort Worth. That's a crowded Republican primary and a Democratic primary. And the thing about these Texas races in these crowded primaries is we're probably not going to know who the nominees are on Tuesday because okay. Texas has a runoff provision. So if nobody gets 50%, they advance. 50% plus one. 50% plus Rest. one. Yes. Thank you. Got that math there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if nobody gets 50% plus one, the top two advance to a May runoff. Right. And so, you know, we, we I, I've always been sort of fascinated with this, you know, like we get hyped up and we see like, okay, we're, you know, we put so much, you know, emphasis on these, on these huge like days like Super Tuesday, but really it's just another date in a very like, rolling calendar. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> so n- not to not to give uh, short shrift to Texas, but uh, we'll mention a couple other races, and then we got to move on to California and some other uh, sort of highlights. Uh, the 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 member of Congress who Allred beat in 2018, Pete Sessions. Mm-hmm. He wants to come back. He's he's another he's a familiar face. He was the the top Republican on the Rules Committee for a long time. He's a fairly amiable guy. Liked to talk to the press. Was a nice person. You know, nice human being as well as being a Congress person mm-hmm. uh, by by almost you know all all accounts. But he's not running in the same district. He's he hopped a, a district right That's because right. he wants to come back to Congress in a what would be a better situation for him. That's right. Yeah, we saw several Texas Republicans retire this cycle. Democrats dubbed it as a Texodus. Uh, so he is running in one of the open Republican seats, uh, former con- or Congressman Bill Flores, who, who is retiring. Uh, that primary, though, is crowded, so Sessions could also head into a runoff. Uh, we also have another familiar name running in another open Republican seat. Uh, Ronnie Jackson, who's a former White House physician, uh, is running for Congress. He notably hasn't gotten Trump's endorsement in the primary, which is kind of interesting. But that will definitely I, be one to watch in a runoff. Well, I mean, it, well, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody because he said that he tried to get the president to exercise uh, beyond <laughs> golf. So maybe the president just really can't get beyond that. And also, there's like, I mean, this is another one of those races. There's like 20 people running or something like that. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, there, it's we see that nuts. in a bunch of these yeah. open seats just like crazy right. uh, crazy numbers in some of these places so uh yeah lots of runoffs probably happening in right. texas and one more one more race to note about texas before we move to california um is henry coyar yes. longtime a veteran congressman democrat from outside of san antonio he is facing a tough primary as well he is. Um, he's one of the few, probably like three or four House Democrats left in Congress who you could kind of could kind of consider to be pro-life. Mm-hmm. And that's made him a top target for progressive groups. In the primary. Uh, yeah. In the primary, right. yes. Uh, their pro-choice groups, including Emily's List, are supporting Jessica Cisneros, who's a 26-year-old immigration attorney. She was recruited by Justice Democrats, which is the group that was behind Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. And Emily's List is spending a lot of money on that race. Uh, They expect it to be very close. And it's interesting because Cuellar has said, you know, his the it's a majority Hispanic district. It's along the border between Texas and Mexico. And he's making the argument that voters there who are Hispanic are socially conservative. So he's in line with his district. But Cisneros and her allies say that, no, this is a solidly democratic territory and we just need to educate voters on some of the votes that he's taken. So we could in Texas, we could see two incumbents, Granger and Cuellar, go down in their primary. So that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. Absolutely. Oh, and I know we said I said this is the last uh, race uh, we're talking about in Texas, but there is a Senate primary, too. Uh, John Cornyn, Mm -hmm. the former majority whip in the United States Senate, uh, he is seeking another term. Uh, He doesn't have a primary problem necessarily, but he might have a potentially tough general race. That's right. Uh, It's one of the seats that's probably not like top of the list of targets for Democrats, but is on the list. Um, That's in part because Congressman Beto O'Rourke came so close to defeating Ted Cruz in 2018. Uh, Democrats see a real opportunity here. They see Texas is changing fundamentally, becoming more diverse. When I was down there, so many people said, there are so many people moving here, and a lot of them from California. and the Democratic Senate primary is really interesting. There are 12 candidates in that race. Again, is that it? really is that all, crowded. Is that all they got? <laughs> but there are five top ones. So narrowing it down a little bit there. Uh, the top candidate appears to be MJ Hagar, who ran unsuccessfully for the House in 2018. She had that viral video called Doors, where she talked about serving the military, doors that were kind of closed in her face and, and all of that. Um, 
But it's interesting because the debate that we see happening at the presidential race, which is all about who can win, what's the best strategy? Do we fire up our liberal base? Do we appeal to moderates? Can we kind of do both? Uh, That same debate is happening in the Senate primary. So it's an interesting microcosm of the debate among Democrats of how you win a changing state like Texas and a kind of emerging battleground for the party. On to California. Yes. Uh, You know, this is, I mean— we're not expecting a ton of competitive races, but but it could develop into that, right? I mean, like we don't know exactly where they're where right. they're going to go. There are fifty three, you know, uh, um, uh, members of Congress uh, from in, in, you know in, at the House level, and it's it's a it's just a massive hall. It's the largest congressional delegation, and when we're only really talking about a you know maybe a few competitive races, right? I mean, they are they're on your radar at this point, right? Yeah. And I'm mostly watching the primaries in like competitive races in the general. So who, especially there were seven Democrats that flipped Republican health seats in California in 2018. So all those folks are targets for Republicans. So I'm looking to see who are those Democrats going to be facing in November. In some of the places, it's a little crowded. In other races, it's a little more developed. Uh, But again, we might not know who these nominees are going to be because California takes a while to count votes. Mm -hmm. And California, we also should say, has the top two primary system. So the top two vote, every one of every party competes on the same ballot. Top two vote getters advance to November. Unless, of course, somebody wins it outright, right? Well, that's the case in the special election. (laughs) So there's also another thing to watch on Tuesday while we're also watching Texas and all this other stuff is um, former Congresswoman Katie Hill, the Mm -hmm. Democrat from Southern California, who resigned um, amid a scandal where she had a relationship with a campaign staffer and some illicit photos came out about her and she felt like she had to step down to not be a distraction. Uh, She flipped a Republican seat in 2018. The special election for her seat is happening the same day as the primary. Special election primary is happening the same day. If a candidate there wins 50 plus 1 percent of the vote, they just win the special election outright. They okay. they take her seat in Congress. But that's probably not going to happen because the race is pretty crowded. Okay. And that features also the man that she defeated and that Katie Hill defeated in 2018, Steve Correct. Knight, a Republican. So yep. it's it's a, it's again, it's like the the, the best uh, contests are always revenge contests, right? Or <laughs> people like that are seeking redemption. Yeah. Um, all right. Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is another state with an interesting primary. It's not so much the 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 the, the House you know, primaries are not as exciting as the Senate primary, which features, um, you know, the the right to take on Doug Jones, the Democrat who defeated Roy Moore uh, in, in a special election that was, you know, caused by Jeff Sessions, the former senator becoming attorney general. Uh, Doug Jones is a Democrat in a very Republican state. So mm-hmm. people are salivating for the opportunity to take him on in the Republican ranks. But it's a crowded primary and it, it features – Da, 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 da. <laughs> Jeff Sessions, back. he's back, and he may or may not have any kind of support from the White House, you know, per se, uh, because he he left his job as Attorney General, uh, not under the best of circumstances with the president. Yeah, it's been interesting. We haven't seen President Trump weigh in too much on the race, which is kind of surprising. I think there were some Republicans questioning whether he would be like actively campaigning against Sessions mm-hmm. because of the disdain he has for the former Attorney General. But so far, he's been quiet. I'm curious if that could change. So because the Republican Senate primary to take on Doug Jones also very crowded, also has a runoff provision. This is likely to go to a runoff, which is at the end of March. Right. And and some of the other, I mean, the the people also in the primary are 
are, have their own constituencies, true. I mean, like, right. jo- obviously, Jeff Sessions is well known to the people of Alabama mm-hmm. uh, for, as a senator and then former and then as a, previously as attorney general. But this uh, features a former football coach. Football is a religion in itself mm-hmm. uh, in the South, particularly in Alabama, uh, Tommy Tuberville. And then also Bradley Byrne, who's a member of the House, and Roy Moore. Let's just throw him in there, too. Yep, he's (laughs) in there as well. Yeah, that's why it's expected to go to a runoff, although Sessions, Tuberville, and Byrne are considered the top three candidates. So some combination of those three are probably going to advance. Gotcha. Um, And then North Carolina, I feel like we need to to just sort of mention, too, that, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, again, this is a, a, a... a uh, competitive state at the presidential level. There's a competitive Senate race. We're watching who is going to come out on top at the on the Democratic side of the ledger f- to take on Tom Tillis, who's mm-hmm. considered a, a somewhat vulnerable uh, a Republican senator. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, the Democrats have kind of coalesced in a way around Cal Cunningham in that Democratic primary, but Republicans have been trying to meddle in that primary, spending to boost another woman in that race who is more more liberal uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how close that primary is because outside groups have already been kind of forced to spend to boost Cunningham as well. Uh, so we'll have to watch to see how close that is, how much the Republican meddling has impacted that race. And at the House level, too, in the wake of it seems like a century of <laughs> litigation over the gerrymandered districts in North Carolina, uh, we're, we're probably going to see at least a one to two seat pickup by the Democrats in the 2020 election. Right. Uh, Which is why it's going to be interesting to watch the Democratic primaries and some of those seats that became much more Democratic Mm -hmm. in redistricting as well. Yeah, Um, they don't have this like sliver anymore that that like connects like it was like Greenville to Charlotte. mm -hmm. It was like this like tiny little sliver (laughs) where like all the Democrats were. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and so they they, you know, they broke some of these stuff up, uh, some of these districts up to make them more competitive. Uh, and then, and of course, like after the 2020 elections, after the next census, they'll they'll redistrict again. So, yep. <laughs> so I mean, this must be. Uh, I mean, you mu- you must really want to have to be a member of the House if you want to run in North Carolina mm-hmm. with all this crazy stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, and there is an open Republican seat in North Carolina as well, with Congressman Mark Meadows retiring, and that race, as well as multiple races in Al- in Texas, Alabama, California, features Republican women. So, one of the dynamics I'm watching uh, primaries have been a real hurdle for Republican women in past elections. So how many of them can kind of clear that first obstacle uh, and where are groups spending to try and help bolster them because there are so few Republican women in the House. This primary is kind of their first test to see if they can try to increase that number after November. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for uh, running through this. I know that was kind of a whirlwind tour. Um, it's a lot It's a lot of real estate to cover uh, when you're covering Texas and California. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just like preemptively yeah. caffeine. Yeah. for Tuesday at this point. Yeah. 90, 90 seats uh, at, yeah. at the, uh, <laughs> that are on, on the ballot at the congressional level just to, just in those two states, 117 total mm-hmm. on Super Tuesday. So thanks again for, for keeping an eye on all this for us and, and making us look good. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again for tuning in to Political Theater. You can catch up with this podcast and previous episodes of it wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you know you happen to, to search out for your podcast. Thanks for listening. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.